Hear these words from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Will you please pray with me? Oh God, take these mere mortal words of mine and make them something more. Make them something that we, your people, need to hear and implant in our hearts a love for you that is unshakable. In Christ's name, amen. Buenos dias! Buenos dias! This was the joyful greeting that we heard each morning by the women who lovingly prepared every single meal for us while we were in Cuba. They did not speak much English, and we didn't speak much Spanish. Our communication consisted mostly of smiles and hand gestures and the few words that we knew in one another's language. The four of us from Stony Brook, Stephanie Kiefer, Dave Schnelly, Bob Schnelly, and myself traveled at the beginning of November with Grace Church in Indiana, all the way to Cuba. Though we had spent four evenings virtually connected to Grace Church for our training prior to the trip, we really had no idea what we could expect of the week. And as is the norm on mission trips, we returned home tired, thankful for all that we have, and with hearts that had been stirred up with an awareness of others' reality. This Advent season, our sermon series will focus on the reality of Jesus Christ and the gift that we receive through Christ. As we move toward the birth of Christ, we will be invited to slow down and to reflect upon the true gift that we have in Christ. Slowing down during the Advent season is incredibly difficult. We are bombarded with holiday sales, food preparation, decorating, gift buying, making Christmas cards, going to Christmas pageants and concerts, and so many other things that occupy our time. The season in our culture is anything 
but what Advent invites us to do, to slow down, to reflect, to wait, listen, and anticipate. There is no way that Joseph could have anticipated what was in store for him. Scripture tells us that he was a righteous man, and he wanted to do the right thing by Mary. Upon learning that she was pregnant with a baby that was not conceived by him, he planned to dismiss her quietly. In other words, rather than calling attention to her shame and possibly exposing her to death by stoning, he would leave without making a fuss. What on earth could have been going through Joseph's mind? <coughs> Was he angry? Embarrassed? Humiliated? Disappointed? Though scripture doesn't tell us, we can imagine he must have had some feelings about this situation. It was unlawful and scandalous. Unlawful and scandalous. Let that sink in. Unlawful for a woman to be pregnant outside of marriage. Scandalous for the shame that she brought on her family and on Joseph's family. The punishment could have been as harsh as death by stoning. This situation had very serious implications. And then what does God do? God complicates social order even more. An angel appears to Joseph in his dream and says to him, Do not be afraid, Joseph. Take Mary as your wife. Name the son she will bear Jesus, and you get to raise him as your own. Because this is the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied in Scripture to save the people. What God asks of Joseph is absurd. Unlawful, scandalous, absurd. <coughs> God. The ways God calls us outside of our comfort zones to do the work of Jesus is nothing short of absurd at times. Cuba and the United States have a long and complicated relationship. Politics and economics are at the center of the power struggles between the island of Cuba and the United States of America. And because of this tenuous relationship, the current policy of the United States government is that no U.S. citizen may travel to Cuba. One exception, humanitarian efforts. So, the four of us left for the communist country on November 2nd. With our humanitarian visas in hand, water filters and Spanish Bibles packed in our suitcases, a little apprehension and a whole lot of anticipation, we looked forward to whatever God had in store for us that week. Here's what continues to boggle my mind about God coming to earth through Jesus Christ. Not only did God choose an unmarried couple and ask them to buck social and legal norms, but God chose parents who were poor, marginalized Jews living under the rule of the oppressive Roman Empire. 
They could not have been a more unlikely couple to nurture and raise the Savior of the world. What on earth was God thinking? And what is God telling us about human social order? It can be very easy for people like me, educated, middle class, white, U.S. citizen, to go abroad on short-term mission trips and make assumptions about people who live in poverty. We can presume to know what they need and how to improve their lives without even asking them. And going to Cuba, it was extremely important for each of us to check our assumptions as we encountered not only a communist society, but also extremely impoverished communities. Stony Brook's generosity provided $30,000 to Filters of Hope last Christmas. That was your Christmas gift to Filters of Hope. Each filter costs $40 to manufacture. That means Stony Brook provided 750 water filters that can bring clean water to an entire village of people. While we were in Cuba, we distributed about 75 water filters. The other filters will be given to other mission groups to go for their installation, and it will also help reduce the cost of their trips to Cuba. Your gift has not only blessed the Cubano people, but also the college students and adults who have been called by God to do this mission work. You know, our capitalist economy teaches us from a very early age to be producers. And the more we produce, the more successful we are. The more successful we are, the more worthy we are. And this leaves us at times inherently believing that those who live in poverty are less worthy because they aren't producing and they're a drain on the resources of those who are producing. It's very different in Latin America and Caribbean cultures, particularly a communist society. Time and relationship take on new meaning. We had to learn to slow down, respect that what is success in Cuba is good relationships not the amount of filter installations that we did. And we had to learn how to experience God in new ways through the people of Cuba. We were divided into uh, groups of three to four Americans, and each team had a representative from the local church as well as a translator. We encountered very few people who spoke English in Cuba. Builders for Hope partners with local churches throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, and these local churches are responsible for identifying potential homes for us to enter, and then also for following up with the families after we leave. Their presence served as a conduit for us to do the ministry we had been called to. And despite the tenuous relationship between Cuba and the United States, the Cuban families were open and curious about us Americans, and we were welcomed as if we were family into each and every home. 
The communities we worked in were located on the fringes of Havana. They were urban and extremely impoverished. We saw raw human sewage running throughout the streets. Many of the homes would not be considered sound structures by American standards. Illegal homes were built in between homes that were legal, which left people living in extremely close quarters to their neighbors. Streets were unpaved, they were full of potholes and rocks, and one of the communities did not receive water daily from the government. Being the resourceful people that the Cuban people are, they would find other sources of water, which was even less clean than the water that was provided to their community. Many people ended up either boiling their water, which left the water with a metallic taste, or putting bleach in it to kill any organisms which made people sick. Cuba, even in the areas which had better resources, appears to have been frozen in time from the 1950s, and it seems as if very little work over the years has been done to maintain it. We had one day off in the middle of the week where we had uh, the blessing of going to the um, countryside and visiting a tobacco farm. In the pictures that are scrolling on the screen, you'll see the beauty of the land. Rich soil, green trees, bright sun. It was lush and tropical. As we entered each home, the families were told that we came with two gifts. The gift of clean water and a spiritual gift. We would then install the water filter into one of their buckets, show them how to use it and clean it, so that it could last them up to 10 years. After the filter presentation, we would then transition into sharing the message of Jesus. God continues to disrupt social order. We Americans thought we were going to install some water filters and tell people about Jesus. And we did do that, but it was so much more. We learned about radical hospitality. The hospitality of the Cubano people went even beyond anything that I've ever experienced here in the United States. We weren't visitors. We weren't guests. We were treated as if we were a part of their culture. We knew we were different. They knew we were different. But we were included and we were loved. It was beautiful, and it was humbling. Is a part of the gift of Christmas this, to see the beauty of God through the humility of God? Many of us came away from that trip baffled by our own privilege. Experiencing different communities of people invites us to reflect on our own community and the ways that God is alive and active in all people no matter their life experience. Bob Schnelli reflected that he was struck by the joy which the Americans inhabited when they would return each day after visiting the homes. Each person seemed to be excited to share stories about the day with one another. And this practice was helpful for each of us as it ushered in the process of reflecting on what we were doing, why we were doing it, and finding God in the midst of the stories we were sharing. 
There was one day, though, that was especially difficult for me. It was not a day where I shared in on the conversation at the end of the day. I sat quietly on the bus as we drove back, unsettled by what had transpired. My teen had ended up in the home of a single man. His home was mostly concrete blocks, and he had no chairs for anyone to sit on. We stood in his stark kitchen and began the work as we did in every other house by showing and installing the water filter for him. All of this was fine until we transitioned into sharing faith. He quickly became agitated and argumentative with our translator, and it left me feeling very uncomfortable. The translator ended up having a lengthy conversation with him, and after we left the house, she filled us in on the conversation. He was upset because he had lived a difficult life. He had been in prison at one point in his life, and alcoholism was a part of his story. He had a hard time believing that having faith in God would change any of this for him. What was the point? What is the point? The homes we visited had very real and very serious human issues. The people we encountered had very real questions about God. What is the point in believing in God if it's not going to change our situation? That is one of the questions that I get asked most frequently as a pastor. The message that the Incarnation teaches us is that God is with us. Emmanuel. God understands what it means to be human because God chose to come to earth in the form of a human. One commentator remarked that God is with us is the signal that social transition is about to occur. And with this transition, we all can live through the anxiety because the change, well, it's coming from God. The point in believing in God as part incarnated through Jesus Christ is that we are offered hope and peace and joy and love in ways that we can't otherwise experience it. God sent us a huge message by becoming human. God sent us a huge message by the family Christ was born into. God sent us a huge message through the teachings of Jesus. God sent us a huge message through the death and resurrection of Christ. And God, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, continues to send us huge messages today. I recently saw the new Mr. Rogers movie. I left the theater wishing Mr. Rogers could be my pastor. He was calm. He was peaceful, and he didn't let people run away from the pain of the human condition. At one point in the movie, the topic of death came up, and Mr. Rogers, sensing that the group was uncomfortable, said, I notice you're uncomfortable talking about death. You know, death is a part of being human, and if it's a part of being human, 
it's mentionable. And if it's mentionable, it's manageable. The gentleman in Cuba mentioned his pain because it's a part of his reality. It's being human. I fear that we left without being able to communicate to him that it could be manageable in a different way through a belief in Christ. Could he have had comfort knowing that the one we call God was virtually a homeless man in Jesus, itinerating around and trusting others to feed him and provide him shelter? Would it have given him comfort to understand that the people that God chose to hang out with were the unwanted ones that society pushed to the margins? One of the gifts of the mission trip for those of us who got to participate was that we got to grow in the ways that we articulate our faith. It helped us to reflect on what it means to be human because each of us, no matter our country or our social location, experience very real and very hard human issues. It is completely absurd that God called us to be spokespeople. It's scandalous even that any of us are called to be mouthpieces for God. So in this season where we are called to slow down, reflect, wait, listen, anticipate, what will you hear God saying to you? Is there scandal and absurdity in it? If so, don't discount it so quickly. It might be in the bizarre and the unlikely that God is calling you to something new, you to change the social order. And it's okay. It's a part of being human. It's mentionable and it's manageable. The beauty of the Christian community is that we get to be in it together. This is cause for celebration. So slow down. Reflect, wait, listen, anticipate the birth of Christ. God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. Amen. As we